And so I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 10. The church was scattered. As you know, we talked about this. Saul of Tarsus was so poked and pricked by Stephen's message that he began to kick back at God. Maybe you've been in that place where you kick back at God. Uh, you were, you know, when, when, when you weren't feeling the Holy Spirit poking you and when there was nothing in your life causing you a divine tension, you didn't have to kick against anything. You were perfectly comfortable going to hell. <laughs> you wouldn't be comfortable when you got there, but you're perfectly comfortable on the way there. And thank God for being uncomfortable. Thank God for tension. That's good tension. Sometimes we spend our life trying to avoid tension. We spend our life trying to avoid conflict in our life. You need some conflict in your life. You guys don't believe that? <laughs> you got to have some conflict. If you don't have any conflict in your life, what, what, you're, what you're saying is, is that either, either you are totally spirit-led all the way and your flesh never even speaks up, or you're being led totally by your flesh. And your spirit doesn't have a voice. But we were called to triumph through him. Romans chapter 7 tells us that without that, we've got no hope. That your, your mind and your body are hopelessly set against the spirit. But thanks be to God that through the Holy Spirit, what I can't do, he can do. That, that, that I couldn't overcome my old nature. But Jesus not only crucified that person, not only crucified that nature, but he gave me a new nature through the resurrection. And he gave me his Holy Spirit. So listen, what's the gospel? Jesus died, right? That's part of it. So when Jesus died, my old self died. Jesus rose. When Jesus rose, I got a new creation. I rose. I'm a new creation in him. I got a new identity. What did he do after that? He ascended. Why is that important? Because when he ascended, he sent his spirit. And so the gospel isn't just he died, he rose. It's he died, he rose, he ascended, he sent the Spirit, and he's coming again. Yes. That's the gospel. And so you can't leave out the ascension, because if you leave out the ascension, you leave out the Holy Spirit. Right. Yeah. Friends, you can't just, uh, you can't really do anything that Jesus commanded you to do without the help. Amen. You need help. Yeah. Amen. So Acts chapter 10, there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius. I've got a pastor friend in town here was taking six months living in Israel. Six months. So he's making us all jealous by sending us pictures. <laughs> Yesterday he sent us a nice picture from Caesarea. I thought, isn't that nice? I'm going to preach about Caesarea. <laughs> Glad you're having a great time, buddy. <laughs> well, I know God's refreshing him. He's having a good time. But it says, uh, a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, and it says, and gave many alms to the Jewish people. In other words, he gave charity, he gave his money to the Jewish people. And it says he, he prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius. And fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms, your prayers and your giving have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa. Send for a man named Simon, who's also called Peter, and he's staying with a tanner named Simon. So that's Simon and Simon, staying together, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And after he'd explained everything to him, he sent them to Joppa. 
this guy, if you were living in Peter's day, and Simon Peter's the guy that the angel told him to go get. Angel said, go find a man named Simon, whose name is also called Peter. He's staying at a different guy's house whose name is Simon. I know it can get confusing. Think about all the people named Jude or James, right? But he says, go find this guy. And if you were Simon Peter, Cornelius would have been part of a group of people you'd consider the bad guys, right? The Roman occupiers. Now, Cornelius had a good reputation as being one of the good ones amongst the bad ones. But he's still working for the men. He's still working for the empire. He's working for the Romans that you want gone. You're mad that they're there. You've probably had Roman soldiers do things that violated you and your family that, that were absolutely wrong. And so, you know, you don't like guys like this. But Simon Peter is also not just a man living in an occupied territory. He's a good Jewish guy. You can't forget that the early church was made entirely these, uh, up to this point, and maybe, maybe the chapter, a couple chapters, be, or yeah, a couple chapters before where Philip went to Samaria, up to that point, we've been basically just talking about a, a church made up entirely of Jewish people, right? It, to them, they didn't leave Judaism. To them, they found the Messiah, the whole point of it, right? So Jesus was not... Uh, Jesus was not a re rebuttal or refuting of Judaism. He was the fulfillment of it. He was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. That's why every message that we've preached so far in this book of Acts has quoted so much Old Testament scripture. Because they're not saying we're leaving our religion. We're saying this is the whole thing we've been waiting for. But now we've got a guy who doesn't have this background. We got a guy that, Simon Peter is a good Jewish guy. He's not even allowed to go into this man's house. He's not allowed to share food with him. He's not allowed to touch his utensils that this guy ate with. So this guy's not invited to church. He's been giving a lot of money to build synagogues, houses of worship. He's been giving a lot of money to the Jewish people. But he himself's not even allowed to go in. Right? Can you imagine? Did you know that the... the uh, the, you know, the original Lloyd Metzger Church here on the east side of, of Lloyd. You know what I'm talking about? The old log church by the museum. That's the first church built in Lloyd. It's built by the, the bar colonists who came to build kind of a U Anglican utopia. They had some good things and they had some bad things. Here's one of the bad things. Those logs were donated by the Onion Lake tribe. That's a good thing. Here's the bad thing. The Onion Lake tribe that do donated the logs for the church weren't really welcome in the church. Now, I got that from the, from the Anglicans. They tell me that, so I'm not telling on them. But that's our history in Lloyd. That's kind of a rough history. Yeah. Something we got to move past. Yeah. Something we got to make right. Yeah. But it's sort of like what Cornelius is dealing with. He's given all this money to these people. He's building houses of worship, but he's not allowed in. And an angel appears to him and says, go find this guy. Go get three of your guys. And, and the guys that he called were also believers. Were also Now listen, not believers in Jesus. They don't know about Jesus yet. Believers in the one true God. Believers in Yahweh. Believers in the God of the Israelites. Cornelius would have been raised learning about the Roman gods. Which were basically just like a cheap rip off of the Greek gods. But he, he learned about the Roman gods. That's who he knew. A plethora of gods. A whole pantheon of them. And yet... He's come to believe that there's only one God, and it's the God of Israel. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
So what can he do? He can't, go to, he can't go to synagogue. He can't go to temple. Well, I can give money and I can pray. Because that's what he did. You give, you pray, and then he has this vision. And on the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city of Joppa, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour, that's noon, to pray. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down. Lowered by four corners to the ground, and there were in this sheet all kinds of four-footed animals, crawling creatures of the earth, and birds of the air. Now, that might not mean a lot to you, but these crawling creatures, these four-footed animals that don't have a cloven hoof, does that matter to you? Whatever you're eating for lunch, does it matter if it has a cloven hoof or not? Is that something you're asking at A&W? Does this have a cloven hoof? Now, if you have to ask, you should, you, you know... You need to go back to school, right? But this is because that's everything he's seeing is not kosher. Everything he's seeing come down on that sheet is stuff that he's not supposed to eat. And the voice from heaven says, kill and eat. Kill it and eat all this stuff. Creepy, crawly, porky, <laughs> seafoody. Now, maybe this is all stuff that's good barbecue, cookie. I mean, like, yeah, listen, this would have been my dad's favorite meal right now. We're talking about, my dad loved Cajun food, grew up, you know, Arkansas and Louisiana. So when, when, when you see this, uh, all these creepy crawly creatures that are unkosher, this is exactly what he would have loved, you know? Peter gets this Cajun meal lowered to him. Do you remember the place, the Cajun place we used to eat at at Dallas? And their, their motto on the wall was, if you live in the swamp, we cook it. You know, that was, that was the motto. You in the bathroom, and the bathroom was like a fish cleaning trough that you washed your hands in. Razoos, that's right. So that's what Peter sees. Now, if you were Peter, what would you think? I'll tell you what I'd think. This is a test. He's making that barbecue food look good. That po those pork ribs look delicious, but this is a test. Well, actually, he didn't see pork ribs. He saw a bunch of animals he had to kill. And he goes, this is a test. I'm hungry. God, did you make me hungry just so you could test me? And Peter responds to God. God told him, kill and eat this stuff. And he says, by no means, Lord. By no means means there's no way I'm going to do this. There's no way you're talking me into this. I will never do this. By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy or unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed. No longer consider unholy or unclean. What God has cleansed. Now listen. Who gave him the rules to start with? God. I mean, the rules about food were, were rules that God gave his people. And he gave them for very specific reasons. Number one, a lot of the, 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 a lot of the uh, um, ceremonial and civic laws were, were for the people's good. You know, at the time when the Israelites came out of Egypt... It's probably good they're not eating pork, which needs to be cooked a certain way, which needs to be clean and all these different things. There were certain things God told them that actually kept them safe. But there's other things that God told them so that they would be different from the other nations. These ceremonial laws that made them different from the other nations. The purpose was to set them apart. And so, you know, God's the one that gave the rule. And God is the one that says what God has cleansed, don't let anybody call unclean. Listen to this. God didn't say it's always been clean. 
right? He said, I've cleansed it now. Yeah. That's the difference. Mm -hmm. When you got born again, you weren't just a good person who started going to church. I was unclean and God cleansed me. Amen. Right? God didn't just suddenly say, you know what? I don't, I, I've been really stressing about sin and I don't know why. It's not a big deal, right? I'm okay. You're okay. Let's just be okay together. No, sin, the wages of sin is still death. But the deal is, is that Jesus bore that punishment for me. So it's not like God changed his stance. It's that Jesus stood on my behalf and took my punishment so I could take his reward. And I'm now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So the difference is, is that God didn't say, I never said that. God said, I said that, but I've cleansed it now. Why is he talking about food? It's not really about food, is it? It's about that Italian guy that Peter considers unclean. And Peter's not going to eat at his house. And Peter's not going to go and he's not going to eat with him. He's not going to even enter the doorway of his house because that man is a Gentile. He might be the good Gentile, but he's an unclean man and I won't go near him because that's what I was raised to do. And that's what, in fact, the scripture told me to do. God says, I've cleansed it so you don't get to call it unholy anymore. You ever consider that God cleansed you? You should not call yourself unholy anymore. You should not consider what God has cleansed to be unholy. If you consider yourself holy, not based on your work, but based on the work of Jesus, you will live holy. A dog acts like a dog. A boy acts like a boy. A, a, a sinner acts like a sinner and a saint acts like a saint. If you will know who you are in Christ, doesn't mean you never make mistakes, doesn't mean you never rebel against God, but boy, is it a lot easier to serve the Lord when you know who you are. You say, I'm holy by the blood of Jesus, so I'm going to live holy. Amen? So it says, this happened three times, and immediately the object was taken into the sky. Has God ever had to tell you something that you're so thick to to receive that he had to tell you three times in a row. Mm -hmm. He had to tell Peter three times. And what a coincidence. There are three people standing at the door. While Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he'd seen might be, behold, the men who'd been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. Calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the spirit said to him, Spirit said to him. So he gets a vision. Now he's going to get the spirit. Remember, that's like Philip a couple weeks ago. He got an angel telling him something. But the second instruction he got was just the spirit. You can't just always depend on visions. You can't always depend on the spectacle. Sometimes you have to be tuned in. God will give you that sometimes. But there's other times where you need to be so tuned in, you can just listen to the spirit. So the spirit says to Peter, behold, three men are looking for you. But get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I've sent them myself. Why would Peter have misgivings? Number one, they're Gentiles. Number two, these are soldiers. Man, if you soldiers came, if, if, if you had three police officers show up at your door, would you be like, this is good news? <laughs> would you boys come to get saved? <laughs> right? No, you might, have different, you might have different thoughts. You might have some misgivings. He says, go without misgivings. You're, I mean, never follow the soldiers to a second location. This is what they're asking them to do. Not just talk to us for a minute, but go to Caesarea with us. He says, okay. Peter went down to the men and said, behold, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for which you've come? 
They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man. Those words didn't often go together, centurion and righteous. But he says, this man, well spoken of by the entire nation of Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So he invited them in and he gave them lodging, which is something he normally wouldn't do. On the next day, he got up and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. Oops, right? (laughs) So what does Peter say? Stand up, I too am just a man. And as he was talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I shall not call any man unholy or unclean. Huge. Guys, I realize that most of us in the room today are not of Jewish heritage. You're not biologically sons of Abraham or daughters of Abraham. Some of you are. I'm not. My blood's almost entirely barbarians. <laughs> right? <laughs> through and through, barbarian blood. Yeah? Somebody had to travel far to get the gospel to my ancestors. So I can't claim, I can't claim by blood that I would have been, that he could have visited me or that he could have come to my house. So you realize if you fall in that category, the reason you're here today all traces back to this moment where God opened a door. Doors are important, friends. Doors are really important. God's the only one that gets to open some of these doors. Jesus said, I'm the one who has the key. And he says, I have the key of David. What does that mean? He means that the key of David means that he's, he's the son of David. He's the, he's the rightful king. He's the Messiah. He's got the right to open doors. And when he opens them, nobody can shut them. And when he shuts them, nobody can open them. And he opened a door to the Gentiles. Now, Today, when Peter is standing here, this is not the day the door was opened. The door was already opened when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. He opened, he opened it to the Jews and the Gentiles alike. In fact, while he was on the earth, the Bible says some of his ministry was a fulfillment of the prophecy that said he'll be a light to the Gentiles. That, that God promised Abraham through your descendant all the inhabitants of the earth, all the nations of the earth, not just your descendants, but all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Amen. But it was in the scripture. They just didn't see it yet. But now there is a door opening. In fact, there's a door. Doors have two sides to them, right? You got, a, you got a door on one side, you got a door on the other. And the door that's being opened right now, there's two doors, or the same door from two directions. It's a door of utterance. In the Bible, specifically, let's talk about Colossians. Paul says this. Let me read it to you. Paul says in Colossians chapter 4, devote yourselves to prayer. This is verse 2. Keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, Praying at the same time for us as well. That God will open to us a door for the word. Now the King James says a door of utterance. What does utterance mean? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Utterance being that God is giving you words to say. This is an opportunity to speak the word of God. He says pray that God would open us a door for the word. Isn't that interesting? Paul's probably the best preacher 
outside of Jesus that we've got in the Bible. And yet he says, there, you need to pray for me that a door would open for us for the word. And when a door opens for the word, we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. For which I've been imprisoned. That I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Now think, think about this, guys. This door of utterance is specifically unique when Peter is, is talking. Because he's not just preaching the gospel like he's always preached it. God opened a door for him on the day of Pentecost. God opened a door for him in Acts chapter 3. God opened a door for him over and over as he preached the gospel. But this is a new situation. Every sermon we've read of his so far, he started with the prophets and moved forward and said, the prophets told us the Messiah was going to come, that he would do this, that he'd suffer, that, he, that in fact he would bear the sins of the people. And this is Jesus. He, was, he, was, he was, came, he ministered, he did signs and wonders, he died, he rose, he's the king now. But listen, he can't say that to Cornelius. He can't say, well, you know all the scriptures, or you know all the prophets, because Cornelius is not a Jew. If you ever pre have you ever shared the gospel with someone that you feel you've got no common ground with? You should. If the enemy has lied to you and told you you can only talk to people that are like you, you're in a box that you need to bust loose of. Well, I'll tell you, it's nice to be able to say, God sent me to people that are like me. God will use you, and he'll send you to people that are like you, and he'll also send you to people that are nothing like you. Did Jesus heal demon-possessed people? Did he have to become demon-possessed so that he could minister to them? Did Jesus heal lepers? Did he have to become a leper, get healed, then, then minister to lepers? Right. Okay. See, if you came out of drugs and alcohol and all sorts of addiction, God will use you to minister to other people. Your victory becomes their victory. But let me tell you, if you've never been into drugs and alcohol, you can still minister to folks who have. And I might say to you, you don't know where, I, you don't know where I'm coming from. You say, I don't, but God does. Don't change who Jesus is. Let me tell you. I'll tell you what I know. Right? If, if you had to go through everything in order to minister to someone, Jesus would have been super ineffective. He had never sinned. He had never been sick. So how in the world did he minister to all those people? Because the Father knows. And the Father loves them. And their creator is your creator. So here, a door of utterance has been opened. Here he says, Paul, Paul prays that a door be opened so I may speak the mystery. There are two words that I want to talk about real quick that are real important in the Bible, and they're super exciting words, mystery and apocalypse. Now are you paying attention? Come on. You're like, you're just, just talking about my two favorite kind of books. Is it movie time? Is it summer at the movies? What are we doing? Mystery and apocalypse is a Greek word, mysterion, and it means something that's hidden or concealed. And then there's the word apocalypsis, which is something that's uncovered or revealed, right? And so often these two play together in the New Testament. We talk about something that's been a mystery, something that's been hidden for a time, but that now God is uncovering. So the reason the word apocalypse is such a spooky word for people is because the book of Revelation is called apocalypsis. And it's not, apocalypse doesn't mean doom and gloom. Apocalypse doesn't mean Charlie Sheen in Vietnam. Apocalypse means uncovering, revealing. God uncovering something that's been hidden. So the book of Revelation is an uncovering of who Jesus is. 
It's an uncovering of, of the mystery that's been concealed. So here Paul is saying there's a mystery that's been hidden. Let me read you something in Romans real quick. In Romans, uh, right at the end of the book. Romans chapter 16. talks about this mystery that's now being revealed. I, I wonder if you've ever if you ever thought, listen, we're talking about Peter here for a minute, so this is all going to tie together, but if you ever considered the amount of getting over his years and years of training it must have taken for him to keep going and preaching to Gentiles. I'll tell you, he struggled with it all his life. Later on, the Apostle Paul had to rebuke him to his face because he stood condemned because he stopped eating with Gentiles. Because his friends told him, you can't do that and be a good Jew. In fact, if these guys want to get saved, they need to become Jews and then get, become saved. In Romans chapter 16, verse 25, it says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation." The apocalypse is the uncovering of the mystery. So remember these words go together. Because mystery doesn't stay mystery with God. Right. It may be hidden for a time, but it's not hidden from you, it's hidden for you. Yeah. And he's the one that gets to uncover it. Yeah. And revelation opens doors. This is, this is what Jesus showed us. Listen to what it says. It says, that according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is what? Manifest. Now is uncovered. Now it's revealed. It's been a secret. It's been hidden. What mystery are we talking about? He's about to tell you. And by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to the obedience of faith, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. He talks about this over and over again in his letters, and he tells us one of the, well, the mystery he's talking about here is that this gospel is for the Gentiles as well. And he says the reason it's been hidden, it was in the prophets, it was in the Bible, but it wasn't time yet. Right? Before Jesus came, it wasn't time for the Gentiles to receive. God was focusing on the house of Israel. It was their time. Jesus even said to somebody, she said, hey, can you do this for me? And he said, I've come, I haven't come for you yet. I've come for the house of Israel. She said, well, even the dogs can eat the crumbs from the kid's table. And he goes, that's a good answer, and I will do whatever you ask me to do. But he said, like, here's why I came. I came for Israel. And there's something that unlocked through the cross and the resurrection. Something changed. We have got brought into a new covenant. And the Holy Spirit is poured out. The Bible says, Peter stood up and said, this is what Joel prophesied, that I will pour out my spirit on who? All. Not just Jews. Not just Italians. Not just the Irish. Not just the Chinese. But all flesh. This is why something changed. Everything changed. That was the mystery. The mystery was... All the nations are going to get this. Amen. And Paul said, I get to preach it. Yes. But that mystery is in Christ. Yes. 
So the answer is in Christ. Now, listen, this is why it's real important. If somebody comes along later and says, I got a new mystery, a new revelation, and it's outside of Christ, you need to just turn around and walk the other way. Yeah. Oh, I don't care if some angel named Moroni <laughs> spoke to you somewhere in Utah and told you, I got a new Bible. It's not Jesus. Revelation has been revealed through Christ. And now we have it. But you can walk in that revelation. You can walk in depths of revelation and unlocks stuff for you because you all of a sudden say, you know what? I mean, think about this. Let me just give you an example because it might sound weird when I say it, but let me give you an example. For the, some of you might have been raised to believe that every gift of the Spirit passed away when the last apostle died. Right? Yep. There's lots of churches that preach that. When John died, gifts stopped. Holy Spirit stopped working in that way. There's no miracles anymore. That's called cessationism. Right? But the Bible doesn't tell us that's going to happen. In fact, we've said this before. The only verse you might say is 1 Corinthians 13, which says that someday all knowledge will cease. Someday all prophecy. Someday all those when the perfect becomes perfect. Why? Because when the perfect becomes perfect, he says, we will know as we're known, we'll see face to face. What's he talking about? He's talking about when we're, when we're glorified with Christ. He's talking about not this life, but the one after. When that comes, you won't need prophecy because you'll already know. When that comes, you won't need to speak in tongues because we'll speak the heavenly language together. But that's not here yet. So you might have been raised to think that. And, and so you never prayed for anybody to be healed. You never prayed for anyone to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You never prayed for anybody to be delivered from a demon or anything like that. You might have just said, that's all Bible stuff. It's not today stuff. But when you got a revelation of Jesus as the healer, yeah. what happened? That revelation unlocked a door to your yeah. healing. When you got a revelation of Jesus, the baptizer, that baptizes you not just with water, but with the Holy Spirit and fire, that unlocked a door for you to walk through and say, I want all the Holy Spirit's got for me. Revelation will open doors for you because you won't walk through what you don't know. And so all of a sudden, this vision that Peter got is unlocking revelation. But let me tell you, it's not just a vision because later on, Peter is confronted about this meeting. He's confronted by concerned believers, concerned church people that have to pull him aside. <laughs> We're worried about you, Peter. We like you. We love you. We want you to know right off the bat, we love you. Can you just know that? Look at me when I'm talking to you. We love you. We're concerned. <laughs> been talking we're concerned you have a tendency to be zealous a little overzealous I'm just not so maybe you went over some lines and Peter the Bible says he calmly does that sound like Peter to you something changed in this man he calmly went with the scripture and the example of what the Holy Spirit's about to do right here he told them what the Holy Spirit did, and he told them what the Scripture said, because the Spirit and the Word always go together. And it says at the end of this, all those disciples that had a problem with him shut their mouths and began to glorify God. See, his revelation that God gave him has now been revelation for them. Now, now that door is open for them. Just like when these guys went to Samaria, Philip walked through the door in Samaria. And after the apostles saw what God was doing, they started walking through those doors too. Now listen, I'm finally going to read the rest of this story, okay? We've been waiting. The whole message is supposed to be about the sermon. He hasn't even got a chance to preach yet. 
He's just told them, I'm not supposed to be here. Verse 34, opening his mouth. Guys, have you been paying attention? Has Peter already been talking? Has his mouth been open while he was doing it? Likely. So this is the same thing we saw with Philip. That, that, that phrase, opening his mouth, means now the Holy Spirit's beginning to give him the words. The utterance in the opening of his mouth. Because, guys, he doesn't know how to preach to a Gentile. Where do I start? Well, you know in Isaiah, oh, wait, you don't know that. Um, you know what Moses said? Oh, you don't know that. Um, this is the Messiah we've been waiting for. I'm not sure if you even qualify for the Messiah. What, uh, so you know what he does? Because I'm going to give you a real important tip today. If you take nothing else, take this. Mm-hmm. When you don't know what to say, mm-hmm. two things you need to know. Number one, the Holy Spirit does. Mm-hmm. And number two, the Holy Spirit always exalts Jesus. Yes. So when you don't know what to say, talk about Jesus. Yes. You say, I have nothing in common with this person. Talk about Jesus. Mm-hmm. I don't have the education they have. Talk about Jesus. Yes. I, don't, I don't know if they're going to listen to me. Talk about Jesus. Well, they got a problem with the church. I didn't ask them to receive the church as their Lord and Savior. I asked them to receive Jesus. Talk about Jesus. And when you talk about Jesus, because the Holy Spirit was sent to exalt Jesus, and, and Jesus is sent to glorify the Father. And when you, talk about the, when you talk about Jesus, the Holy Spirit is going to be present. And as we're about to find out, he's going to do something. So here's what happens. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now at this moment. That God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, that is a big statement, in every nation. He's been raised all his life to say in my nation. But now he's saying in every nation. The man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all of Judea. Let me stop there. He said he preached this word to the sons of Israel, but he's realizing something. What's the message he preached? Jesus came and brought peace, peace between mankind and God. And the Bible tells us when he brought peace between us and God, he brought peace between us and and, and the other nations. He brought peace between Jew and Gentile. And here's what he says. He brought peace. And then listen to this. He is Lord of all. Peter's recognizing Jesus is not just Lord over my crew. He's Lord of all. And he says this, you yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all of Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now look at that statement. Number one, he's focusing on Jesus. Number two, he he says, Jesus of Nazareth. He is pointing out, he's making a point. This God came as a man, living in backwoods Nazareth, son of a carpenter, but anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. Is there anything he just said about Jesus that can't be applied to Jesus' people? I know we feel like we're on shaky ground here. No. Jesus is fully God, fully man, right? But everything he just said, God anointed him with the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus promise you? He was going to anoint you with the Holy Spirit. How he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Isn't that what Jesus commanded us to do? 
for God was with him. Is God with you? Yes. So is there anything he just said about Jesus that can't apply to God's people? No. no. But he's, he's glorifying Jesus. And in verse 39, he says, We are witnesses of these things he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him up on the third day. And granted that it become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is, to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So he's telling you, he wasn't a ghost. We ate and drank with the guy. Yeah. I saw bread go down his gullet. Mm-hmm. And didn't just like pass through and fall on the floor. <laughs> he was real. He was with us. And the Bible tells us he was with over 500 people. Verse 42. And he ordered us to preach to the people and to solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and of the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Listen to that. So he, he's not preaching like he's preached before. He's not saying this is, the, he's not talking all the verses about the Messiah. He's saying, what do we have in common? We're all going to die. We're all going to stand before the judge. And Jesus isn't just going to judge the church. He's not just going to judge Israel. He's going to judge us all. He's judge of the living and the dead. And what are you going to do when you stand before the judge? He says he's offering to all who believe in him forgiveness of sins. You know, whoever you talk to, we have something in common. I might not have come from your background. I might not have your lifestyle experience. I might not have your family background, but you and I are both going to meet the judge someday. We're all got that in common. Every single human being came from God, and every single human being will return to God. Everything returns to its creator. Everything returns to where it came from. Your body was formed. Adam was formed from the dust, right? But where'd your spirit come from? God. Your body goes back to the dust, but where's your spirit go to? God. Saved or unsaved, you both go back to God. The question is what happens when you get there? What will happen? We're all going to return to the judge. The question is what will happen when we get before him? Do you think that anybody that you ever talk to can identify with that on some level? Well, I don't believe in God. I don't believe there is a God. I believe after death we just all disappear. Well, this is the moment where, speaking of Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins to work on our hearts. Even to a dead, unregenerate, unbelieving person, God loves them and still can work on them. And like we said about Philip in Samaria, the Holy Spirit already started the process. See, it's just like Philip pulling up to the chariot and the guy's already reading the Bible. Here, Peter just goes to a house that a guy has already been visited by God. But have you noticed, and I'll say it, I know I say this all the time, I'll say it again. God never bypasses people. An angel appeared to Cornelius, yet the angel didn't preach the gospel to him. Angel didn't lead him to the Lord. An angel sent his guys to go get a man to bring him back and preach the gospel. An angel did not preach the gospel to anyone in the New Testament. It's always a person. Jesus knocked down Saul of Tarsus on the road, and he still sent him to a guy's house to get laid hands on. God is never going to bypass you. So here, that's why it's so important that we walk through the doors that God called. Who are you calling unholy 
Who are you calling untouchable? Who are you considering unreachable? Who are you considering the enemy that can't possibly be saved? Because it's about time we get over ourselves and realize that those people need Jesus and that the Lord loves them and that he might be opening a door today for you to walk right through it. A door of utterance. I didn't speak of the other door, though. The other door is the door of faith. When Peter and Paul are asked later on, we'll read it later, but when they're asked to defend themselves for preaching to the Gentiles and telling the Gentiles they can be saved, they talk about how, and they say this in Acts chapter 15, how God opened a door of faith. Actually, this is Acts 14. How God opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. God opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And on Peter's end, he ordered, opened a door of utterance. In every moment, every place, God's got people he's already started to work on. And he's already opened a door for them. I know it's warm in here. And I know we're getting late, but I need you to hear this. Because it's really important for our city. There are people right now God is working on. And they're not the people you always expect. But Jesus told his disciples, when you go to a village, find the man of peace. Find the guy I'm already working on. Don't even try to keep going door to door. God's not about quantity. He's about quality, which leads to quantity. He says, if you will stay at this guy's house and minister to his family, he says, start there. He's got, that guy's going to be the doorway to a whole group of people. Yeah. That guy's going to be the key to a whole group of people. Yeah. You know, we're like, just knock on as many doors as possible. Jesus said, find the guy I'm working on. Okay. Find the guy I've already started talking to. Yeah. Find the guy that will receive you. Yeah. Stay with him. Because that man is going to open his family, his wife, his kids. They're going to open a community to you. Yeah. Successful missions still use this strategy. Don't try to find, you don't have to always go for quantity. Find the person, find the family God's working on. This case, it was Cornelius. I'm going to wrap up with this. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers, the Jewish believers, who came with Peter were amazed because of the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Like they're just speed running the whole experience. They just, Peter didn't even get a chance to have an altar call. (laughs) Skipping all the steps. Supposed to call you to the front. I surrender all. And you come. And then we lead you to Jesus. And then we go, would you like to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? And they go, why, yes, I would. And then we lay our hands on you. No, they just, in the middle of the sermon, they're just starting to speak in tongues. And Peter goes, They didn't even get baptized. And so Peter says, "Uh, surely no one can refuse the water for these guys to be baptized who have already received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. And that story is the story of how the gospel got preached to all our people. That's how the gospel broke through the wall that Jesus died to break down. That's a really cool story. But it's a story that resonates with us today. We're not allowed to call unclean what God's cleansed. We're not to call, not to call anyone unreachable. No one's beyond repentance. No one's beyond forgiveness when they call in the name of Jesus. 
Listen, Peter didn't compromise in order to reach the Italians. Did he? Did he say, it's okay if you worship Jesus and your other gods? Did he say, you know, it's okay if you have five wives as long as you're, you know, coming to church? He didn't compromise one bit. These guys were ready. See, God's not asking you to compromise the message of the gospel. He's not asking you to compromise on what's right and what's wrong. That doesn't change. And if we have to compromise that to reach people, you're not reaching people with the, with the Holy Spirit. Right. You're reaching people with your own version of the gospel. Yeah. The gospel is we're all what Peter preached. We're all dying and going to hell. I mean, we, we were all going to the judge. And we're all found guilty until Jesus came. And he flips it around. When you repent and call on his name, he is offering forgiveness to every single person who will call on his name. And he's not playing favorites and he's not partial, He's not showing partiality. He's saying anyone who will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Man, that gets you fired up. Because you're one of those people. At one point, that was you. At one point, somebody had to be so brave as to talk to you. And maybe it was someone that had everything in the world in common with you. Maybe it was someone that had nothing in common with you. Aren't you glad they loved you enough to talk to you? Aren't you glad they loved you enough to be led of the Holy Spirit? Aren't you glad that nobody kicked you out when you walked in the door? Yeah. The door of utterance is being opened for you all the time. And doors of faith are already being opened around our city. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder whose house needs a visit. I wonder who whose world has already been invaded by God but needs to, needs to come in contact with a human being carrying the spirit of God. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. We just need to stop thinking God's going to do the work by himself. He sent you. Yeah. We're the hands and feet. Yeah. We're the body of Christ. Right. It would have been so easy for the angel to say, while I've got your attention, let me lead you to Jesus. The angel went through the whole hardship of sending three guys to another city to grab a guy and bring him home. And it happens over and over in the Bible. It still happens over and over today. Yeah. You're an important part of the puzzle, aren't you? Yeah. So I want you to receive the call. I want you to realize that the Holy Spirit's able to use you. And I want you to know, here's, here's the key. Let me tell you a key that we've already said, but I'll say it again. A key that I'll never, ever, ever, ever be able to tell you anything more important is talk about Jesus. Make Jesus the center. He's the point. And when Jesus is the center, the Holy Spirit's going to be there. Right? Don't say, well, well, maybe we'll talk about politics for a while. Maybe we'll talk about this for a while. Maybe we'll talk about, our, you know, God can use a different topic to bring you to that. But the point is Jesus. Right. You can start talking about hockey, but the point is Jesus. Right. You know? Let's stand up today. We're going to pray. I love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for cleansing me. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't cast me aside and call me unclean. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't say you're not welcome in my house, at my table. You didn't wait till I got cleaned up. Right. You invited me as dirty as I was. As dirty as we were, you invited us to the table and you cleansed us there. Guys, I want you to remember Cornelius didn't get saved before Peter came. Peter had to come before he was saved. If you're hoping just to find a group of people that are so righteous and holy... They got their life all together, but they don't have Jesus yet. Those people don't exist. Right. It's only Jesus that can turn a life around. Yeah. Yeah. 
You're going to have to be willing to go into somebody's house that might not, might not be up to the standards of, of what you expect. But as God calls us, let's say yes to him. Yeah. Let's be the kind of people God can use. Let's be the kind of people that don't bring reproach on the name of Jesus, but instead bring glory to Jesus. Can they look at our lives and say, that's a follower of Jesus? Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much. And I'm asking you today that you would call us out and send us out. Lord, that you'd open the doors of utterance for our, my friends here. That you'd open doors of faith in hearts all over this city. You are already opening doors of faith. There are people that are starting to believe something. Even maybe they don't believe, but they're looking. They're seeking. They know there's more. So I ask you, Lord, that that door of faith would meet the door of utterance. Lord, we would see an outpouring of your spirit in such a way that it sweeps us. It sweeps the city up in, in your glory. In Jesus' name.